Good morning. And welcome to worship here at the First Baptist Church of Lawrence, Kansas. Well, for the first time in 60 weeks, we gather in this space for worship. But it's not that simple, is it? For today, we are two congregations gathering in this space and gathering at home. As we continue our live stream ministry, our live stream worship, we are gathered together in unity, both physically and also virtually. And so there's going to be some weirdness for a while. There's going to be some uh, things that we have to figure out and things that don't quite line up. And, oh, uh, we didn't think about that. But that's what we do when we're church. That's what we do when we figure it out together. And so a few things, just uh, kind of an awareness of, uh, of both folks at home and what folks at here in the sanctuary are going to be seen. If you are at home, uh, I invite you to, uh, to gather a candle, um, a Christ candle that can be lit in your own space of worship. Gather together elements for communion, as today is a communion Sunday. If you are here in the sanctuary, you are seeing the live stream happening up on the, the screen, up on the, the wall. But it looks a little different because it's a bit delayed. <laughs> so I wouldn't pay too close attention to it for most of the service. That's where the lyrics will be for the hymns. That's where the scripture passage will be. But don't pay too much attention to the fact that my hand moves at a different time here than it does on the screen. <laughs> it's a little weird. But that's what church is. Church is making sense of the weird, being together, whatever together looks like. And so now, we light the Christ candle at home and here in this space, understanding and celebrating that we are not alone. We have not been alone. We will never be alone. For the presence of Christ is always with us. Come, let us worship today. Those of you that are present, let us rise for the worship of God. In the wilderness, water brings life. Seek us out, O God, and take us to the water. In the word of God, the good news gives light. Seek us out, O God, 
and fill us with understanding. In the bread and the cup, the body of our Savior nourishes everyone. Seek us out, O God, and give us yourself. Here is the water of life, the word that feeds, the food of eternity. Come and praise the vine that gives all goodness. difficult, but there are several options for you to pass the peace to those present. You can do the friendly wave. You can do what Matt calls the holy jazz hands. And Christina's big, what is it? Big circle of Jesus. But the other thing I want to do is remember there are still people at home, so I will encourage you to get out your phone and to text somebody or get on YouTube and ch get in the chat or do something and say the greetings to those as we pass the peace. So for the first time in a long time, we're gonna have a passing of the peace period. And so uh, we will start that now. The Lord be with you. And also with you. We lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. So at this time, feel free to pass the peace. <laughs> <laughs>
Chapter 2, verses 29 to 32, the words of Simeon. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So a big joy today is that for the first time since I've been here, I get to see people in the audience. So hello, it's nice to meet you all. I'm pastor, now technically reverend, it's still exciting. Um, (laughs) Reverend Christina, and so this is something to celebrate today that we are gathered once again and we continue to celebrate and acknowledge the people that are watching virtually now or later and that you are also a welcome part of our church and we are excited that you are here. We also would like to give you an update that Cheryl Herriter is um, home after having a a liver transplant and is doing well. So we are thankful for that and we'd like to continue to Remember that our ch- the church family is much bigger than us here at First Baptist in Lawrence. So our local church today to pray for is Free City Church. And then we are remembering the region of the Dakotas and Reverend Randy Rasmussen. And then our missionaries, Corrine and Philip Smith, serving in Brazil. So let us now come to a time of unison confession. God of mercy, We confess that we have not borne the fruit of the Spirit. We have not loved others as you have loved us. We have denied the promises of baptism and cut ourselves off from you. Forgive us, restore us, that we may abide in your love and live out your mercy for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hear now the good news. You have already been cleansed by the word that God has spoken to you. God has claimed you and joined you to Christ as branches to a vine. Believe the promise given to you in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Now let us pray. Gracious and glorious God, thank you for this beautiful day, for the promise of new life and rebirth in this spring season and for a new month ushering us into a new chapter in the life of our church where in-person worship begins again. May we leave behind the burdens of the past and let go the worries over uncertain futures and simply rest in this moment, staying present and grounded, knowing that you are faithful and good, Lord. For you have been faithful through these tumultuous times, and you will continue to be faithful. Your goodness continues to make way in this world, even in the presence of illness, violence, and oppression. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the wisdom of leaders, the hard work of scientists, and the faithfulness of healthcare providers and essential workers that have carefully been working to keep us safe and healthy, continue to guide their future steps and to watch over them. 
Watch over our students as they finish this unprecedented, weird school year. Give them endurance as they finish final assignments and study for finals so they can be proud of their work and celebrate that they got through this school year with its ever-changing challenges. And thank you for the teachers and school administrators that have been working hard and tirelessly putting in extra hours to come up with creative and innovative ways to keep teaching our students, helping them feel connected and loved even when they might be separated from computers. Give our students, give our teachers what they need to finish the school year well. Show us how to live in your love and to show it to others that we may continue to bring your kingdom into this world as we now pray as your son has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. to that time in the service where normally somebody up here stands up here and encourages you to give. Except today I'm going to do a little differently and I'm going to say thank you for giving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Over the last year, this congregation has continued to be very faithful in their giving in lots of different ways, both financially and with their time and efforts. I really want to say thanks to those that have helped us over the last year with the tech crew. I've had a ringside seat to watch all things tech for the last year. I've heard more about Switcher Studio <laughs> and the sound and every other problem that we've had and watched it being fixed over the last year and I'm amazed at all the time and effort that a group of people have spent putting in, trying to make that work. And now we're able to continue to worship together both in person and online together. We have people worshiping with us from Montana, from South Dakota, from the East Coast. We have people worshiping with us, not just in Lawrence, and that is a great time. But we couldn't have done it without all those people. We've had a, a, a spiritual leadership team that has taken on leadership and re led us through a, a discussion on what does church look like going forward, and that's vision too. We've had the building folks that have done lots of work We've had Wendy Wheeler, who has spent hours and hours working in the kitchen, working with the food pantry. If you haven't been in the building for, for months, you don't realize that our narthex was the food pantry for many, many months and served many, many people. So thank you to all of those that served. And you still have the opportunity to serve, to give, you can give the same old-fashioned way we've been doing it for the last, you know, 12-plus months online. If you're present, 
We aren't going to pass the plates this morning, but there are two offering plates back there at the back of the, of the church. I would encourage you, if you come to the service, if you can, write a check, because if you're giving online, that does cost the church a little bit of money unless you decide to uh, pay up for it. But do whatever you can to continue to help the church, and, and thank you for what you have done so far.
first, Lord, we just thank you for all the many gifts that you've given us. We thank you for the talents of all the people that have shared, been shared today and over the last year with our congregation. We thank you for those who continue to give financially to the continuing mission that is First Baptist Church of Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that you'll bless this and bless each person who is given. We thank you for this all. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I invite you now to hear these words from the book of Acts. I read from the 15th chapter. We uh, skip a few chapters from last week after the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now to a, a new story that teaches us how the church responded in a divisive times. Acts 15, verses 1 through 18. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Amen. Well, Michael and Jesse took a long time to make their decision. They loved First Church. They loved the people. They loved their Sunday school class. Their kids loved the youth group. But it was a big decision for them to put their names forward for membership. They knew that it would be a controversial issue in the church when they decided to join. Because Michael was black and Jesse was white. They knew it would be controversial at First Church because their relationship had been controversial at every church that they had ever gone to and also in their own families. So they weren't surprised when the business meeting at church turned contentious. Now most people were polite in their concern, but some were, well, downright nasty. Well, it just isn't natural. The church has to stand for what is right. The Bible is clear on this issue. If we keep watering down the faith, then how are we different than everybody around us? And in the end, the family was voted in actually by a rather wide margin. 
But for Michael and Jesse, they would always know that there were certain individuals who did not want them there. This simple and homemade parable could have taken place in the unrest of the 60s during the civil rights movement in our own nation. Or it could have taken place last week in many of our churches. When questions of unchanging cultural expectations hit the church, it gets messy, doesn't it? It gets complicated to try to discern how the church is to engage in these cultural questions. What does it mean to be faithful to the message of God? Or when are we just simply taking a cultural standard and assuming that is God's will? When are we watering down the faith? And when are we participating in a faith that is dynamic and ever-changing? These were the questions that faced the early church in today's passage. We read about the, the story of two of the early church leaders, Paul and Barnabas, and their work wrestling with these questions. They also had faced more than one contentious church meeting and found themselves now in the middle of a downright fight between those who felt that the Holy Spirit was dynamic and creating a new way of living the faith and those who felt that that quote-unquote newness was an abandonment of all that they had cherished of the past. Of course, the emotional processes are, are, are different than uh, uh, Michael and Jesse, but they're also very similar. It's a different issue, though, in Scripture. In this case, it's the issue of circumcision all the way back in Genesis 12 when God covenants with Abram. Circumcision became a, a symbol of that covenant. It was the way that, that God's people set themselves apart, first from the, uh, the Egyptians, and then the, the Philistines, and the Assyrians, and the Babylonians, and the Persians, and then the, the Greeks, and, and finally now the Romans. Each generation found themselves setting themselves apart with this symbol, as well as a very specific way of living and worshiping and eating that was central to their faith. It's what Abram had done, and Moses, and David, and Ezra, and Jesus, and the disciples had done. These were the signs that one had chosen to follow, Yahweh. Like a wedding ring is a symbol of that relationship, or a flag, the, the, the symbol of a country for generations. These were the expectations. These were the requirements to follow the one true God. If someone is to join this community, circumcision is expected. But now these, these long-held traditions are being questioned. After the stoning of Stephen, we see that the church begins to be scattered uh, and to reach out to the, the Gentiles, those who had not held to these traditions of Abram. But the, the Gentiles, <laughs> well, they were falling in love with Jesus. And so the people of the church began to connect them to the faith and connect them and bring them in, and, and it caused consternation. These early church leaders like Paul and Barnabas began to see the Holy Spirit at work in these Gentile believers, these uncircumcised, non-tradition-following Gentiles that sure looked like they were demonstrating the presence of God, sure looked like they were exhibiting gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what now? How should the church respond? Well, church, let me suggest that we are about ready to ask some of those same questions here in 2021. Not only are we wrestling with significant cultural changes in the faith, but the pandemic has caused us to ask a new set of significant questions about what it means to be church. Consider some of these assumptions that many of us have held dear for a long time. Church is about being together in the same physical space. Programming is the way we do church. Uh, the more activities we do, the, the deeper our spirituality is. Church members have to live in the same community as the building, right? And many more assumptions, presuppositions that we make, and, and we are asking ourselves, forced to ask ourselves, like those early church members, what is truly the work of the Spirit and, and what is simply well, what we're used to? What is the way that church needs to be in order to be church? And when is it something tied to our culture or our personal history or, or the dreaded, well, well, we've always done it that way? Well, 
Now we haven't always done it that way. And now we face new questions. And many of us find ourselves shaken just as those in the early church. So where do we go from here? What does this story have to teach us about the days ahead? And let me suggest that, that Acts 15 may not be as simple as it sometimes looks to be. The passage is sometimes used to talk about the inclusion of the outsider. The message goes something like this. Well, just like those who insisted on circumcision to new converts, some in the church today insist on converting new church members not to the gospel of Christ, but to their own narrow cultural expectations, their own personal way of living. Eh, that's a good message. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that I, I would suggest that most of the book of Acts actually carries as its message about inclusion and welcoming those who are different than us. Two weeks ago, that was the message, we heard about the outsider Stephen, who was then taken by the Twelve and put into the center core of leadership. Last week, we talked about the Ethiopian eunuch. talked about this one who was an outsider on several different levels and how he was brought in and, and baptized in, in spite of explicit scriptural reasons why he should not have been. And then... Paul and Barnabas go on these missionary journeys and begin to include and welcome the outsider Gentiles. And perhaps in what's one of the most striking examples in Acts 11 is the story of Peter and Cornelius, in which the, the key leader of the church, Peter, begins to understand that putting up walls of exclusion based on old scriptural interpretation was simply not what the Spirit was up to. Acts echoes again and again and again this same message, but not chapter 15. At least not in the way I read it. This is not a story of inclusion of the Gentiles, because I think by Acts 15, that is a closed case. Nobody's debating that anymore. Acts 15 is not a story about how to convert the outsider. It's a question of how to convert the insider. Look again at how this passage begins. Luke tells us that there are, quote, certain individuals who make their way to the Antioch church and begin to tell the Gentiles, well, you're doing it wrong. They're watering down the faith. They need to read their Bibles. But by the time that Paul and Barnabas report this to the leaders in Jerusalem, the question is not whether or not these certain individuals are correct in their assessments. Paul and Barnabas don't think so. Peter doesn't think so. Ever since Cornelius is a close case for him, James doesn't think so, this rising leader in the church, the brother of Jesus. The question we get in Acts 15 is not, well, what are we going to do about these Gentiles? The question is, what are we going to do about these certain individuals? What are we going to do about these people in the church who think they don't need to be converted to the gospel of Christ? Because these early church leaders know, know that the insiders can be more of a problem than the outsiders. Insiders who are more worried about making clones of themselves than opening their eyes to, to new expressions of faith, to the, uh, the body of Christ. Insiders who cannot see the Spirit at work because the Spirit-filled Christians right in front of them don't fit their own narrow experience of the faith. Insiders <laughs> who are more worried about watering down the faith than handing out invitations to the pool party. These early church leaders know that the failure of these certain individuals to open the door to others simply means that they are shutting themselves out from the work of the Spirit. Paul and Barnabas don't show up asking for permission to convert the outsider. They're looking for advice how to convert the insiders who don't think they need to be converted. So what about us? What does this uh, mean for us? So many of us who would probably consider ourselves part of that insider group. What happens when our insider status becomes a hindrance to the gospel? What do we do next? What's the, the game plan for the church? And what's our game plan to convert those certain individuals in our own lives? Three parts, three points that I would make today from the passage. The first is this, double down on grace. 
Look at Peter's words, starting in verse 6. Remember that all of these folks, Peter and Paul and James, they've all been insiders, but they've come to realize that their own insiderness is part of the problem, that those who can lead 10-part Bible studies on how we're supposed to leave people out, those folks stand in the way of the church. They had all done it, but they had learned how to get over it and have become converted to the gospel to the marginalized. And so look what Peter says here. He reminds the church to be a place of grace. These certain individuals, they're, they're just trying to figure it out. These insiders thought they had all the answers, and, and they're just trying to make sense of a changing world around them. Biblical scholar Craig Kester suggests that what people fear the most is not change, but loss. These certain individuals were grieving a world that was changing around them. And so Peter suggests that grace is required. Peter reminds us to be gracious to those who think that their insider status matters more than the grace of Christ. By verse 11, he makes it clear. He says it this way, On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Not by whether we can name all of the books of the Bible in order, not by whether we've had perfect attendance in Sunday school since we were children. Saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, outsiders and insiders alike. Saved by grace. It's the first word, double down on grace. The second word from the passage is this. Shut up. See it? You see it in here? It's pretty clear. It says the whole assembly kept silence. What it seems to mean is they were intentional about sitting in silence with one another. I was struck again at the experience in our discipline of silent confession today of being in a room full of people quietly listening to the whisper of God. All learned in this moment to listen to the whispers of the Spirit. <laughs> now, I would suggest that uh, we as the church sometimes tend to talk ourselves to death. A debate is important and discussion is important and conversation, they're all important parts of the church, but sometimes we need to sit. We need to listen. We need to be silent before one another and before the Holy Spirit. See, conversion is a matter of the heart. And trying to talk each other into our position is a cognitive work. Sometimes. We need to shut up and in the silence be converted. Double down on grace, sit in the silence. And a third word from one of the church leaders today is this, from James. Read your Bible. He makes it pretty clear. Now again, this is a double-edged sword because there's plenty of biblical evidence for exclusion, right? These certain individuals, they, they were experts on it, but... Here in Acts 15, James uses the prophet Amos to teach that the overarching story of Scripture is that of inclusion. In the passage, the insiders are, are grieving the loss of the temple, grieving the loss of their, their traditional physical space that mattered so much to them. But in the face of that grief, the prophet foretells a time when even Gentiles will stream into the community of God. Even they will believe there will come a time when God would call all peoples together. It's what the book says. So how do you convert the insider? The Bible. Help them to see that their, their sacred text is not a license to exclude. Like a, a reservation book at a fancy restaurant that says, well, well, you're allowed here, but you all have to stay on the outside. The story of Scripture has been a story of inclusion, of welcome, of, of invitation to the insider and the outsider both. And so James goes on to say that the outsider should follow some of the rules of the, uh, the insiders, just a, a compromise, really, to keep those certain individuals from getting too riled up. I can almost hear James say it. Ah, oh, they'll come around. Just humor them for a while. Eventually they'll figure it out. Which is what the church indeed does. It works. The church business meeting concluded with a consensus. The text says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They found unity with one another in the end where there was once division. And just a few chapters later, Acts tells us that Paul, 
ministering to a new community of outsiders, gathers around a, a new symbol, a new experience of inclusion, a new experience of saying all are welcome here as they broke bread at the first of the week. It became a symbol of saying you are welcome here. All are invited to this community. Unity matters. The Jesus followers at that time and the Jesus followers today understand that insiders and outsiders alike together must be unified by the grace of Christ. And it is by this symbol that we today still find ourselves welcome. Church of 2021, we face a changing world with confusing cultural expectations and divisions, but we face it armed with grace, <laughs> with quiet prayer, with the words of Scripture, and with the symbol of the uniting table. Come, let us be God's people together in these days. The song that I want to share with you this morning, I've got to stand behind this thing, um, comes from Luke 24. You probably know the story. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but I, I want to read just a few verses. You might remember there are two men walking on the road to Emmaus, which isn't far from Jerusalem. And as they're walking along, they're talking about all the recent events. And suddenly Christ appears with them, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And, he, and they say to him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And then I think Jesus shows a bit of a sense of humor, and he says, what things? As I sing the song, some of those things will become evident. beside me like he'd been there all along not a stranger but a father who could sense when something's wrong and he answered all my questions and he understood my fears that somehow vanished now that he was here. And you see who walks with you. Can't you hear who speaks your name? Can't you feel something stirring in your heart? strong and true like a once familiar strain and the paths we follow from now on be the same 
couldn't bear for him to leave me. So I begged him, please to stay, spend the evening a few moments before he went his way. Then like a host, he stood and blessed me, broke the bread and poured the wine. Then I knew there was something there I recognized. Yes, I can see who walks with me. I can hear who speaks my name. I can feel something stirring in my heart. How his words ring strong and true like a once familiar strain. And I know Thank you for preparing us for the table. So those of you that are virtually, I'm going to ask you to be patient with me for a moment while I explain these lovely little communion to-go cups because they're a little more confusing than you might think. And if you think, oh, I completely understand them, then you're smarter than me because it took me a minute. So there are two layers to this plastic. There's a clear plastic one, and you'll pull that one off first, and you can see a wafer, and that is the bread. And then you'll pull off the second one, and that is the juice. These might not be the most tasty treats in the world, um, but we are here together. And so we can celebrate that, and we can put up with not as delicious bread as um, this church might be used to for the sake of people's safety and health because this is a table that represents grace and love. And so we are showing grace and love to one another by using these instead of other 
methods that uh, were used previously. And at the end, there will be trash cans by the door for you to dispose of them so Neil doesn't have to come around and touch all of your germs that you drank from earlier. So thank you for coming, and welcome to the table. Baptists say that this table is open for everyone. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a Baptist. You just have to try to be loving Jesus. And this table is for you. This table is for you, to remind you of God's grace, to remind you that God suffers with you, that God loves you, and that God is here for you now and always. Indeed, it was on that night that Christ gathered with his disciples, welcomed them to table, even those who would deny him, even those who would betray him. And he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, the common cup, passed around to all those at the table and said, this is the sign of the new covenant I make now. You are invited into this family. And so today, whether you peel plastic off of cups in this space, whether you eat uh, crackers and juice at home, whatever your experience of communion is today, we come to the same table. Because we can see Christ's love and grace showering over us. Receive now the bread and the cup of Christ. You have not done so already. Receive now the body of Christ broken for you.
and the blood of Christ poured out for forgiveness of sins. This day, will you allow yourself to be converted, insider, outsider alike? Will you allow yourself to come to the table of grace and to be saved by the grace of Christ? If you would respond to that call today, whether it's here in person to to step forward or it's online to fill out a, a form virtually, however you would respond to the invitation as we sing our final hymn together now, you're invited to come. come forward. So Evie has been participating in these last uh, several weeks in the part of the baptism class along with Pastor Christina as uh, she has been uh, uh, learning all about what it means to be baptized, learning all about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, And she has made that decision and is ready to be baptized and will be baptized next week. And so if you are excited, if you are supporting her decision, I want to hear a loud amen either from you here in the room or even from you there at home. Let me hear a loud amen. Amen. They mean it, Evie. This is your family and they love you very much. I'm excited for your decision and I'm excited to be able to join you in baptism next week. We have other ways to celebrate, other ways to continue to be church together in these coming days, in in these coming minutes. The youth group here in just a few moments uh, will gather for uh, their uh, makeup celebration. They didn't uh, get a chance to do a senior send-off last year, so they decided they will do the senior send-off from this year and from last year and everything they missed along the way. So they've got all kinds of uh, celebrations ready and lined up to go. So from 2 o'clock to, or excuse me, from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock, this afternoon, the youth will meet in the Roger Williams room. Uh, here at 12.30, here in a few minutes, the two-way will be back on Zoom, and you're invited to be a part of that as well. Uh, now, a few words for those of you here in this space. If you watched uh, Pastor Christina's uh, video this week, you know that the way we're going to do this in here is we're going to dismiss by row, uh, starting from the back. So after uh, the, uh, the postlude is over, we'll have a chance to kind of uh, start stepping out, uh, the back row first, and then the next to back. If you've been to a wedding, right, you know how this works. You just kind of do row by row by row, and we'll come forward to the front, right? So that'll be the plan uh, here in a minute. We, d- we would ask you not to hang out here in the building. Uh, there's going to be coffee and snacks outside, uh, so go uh, give your greetings to folks out on the outside. Uh, thanks to, uh, to Ann Musterman and to Brian Miller, who have uh, uh, brought back uh, Holy Grounds uh, for a return this week. Um, A word now of benediction that we have sung together and mean now perhaps more fully.
today. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart to hope to meet again. In that promise, go in peace. Amen.